Tom Shiplet Podcast. Welcome to episode 64 of the Tom Shiflet Podcast. I am your host, Tom Shiflet. Today's episode will recap Championship Sunday, finally. Cowardly head coaching in this postseason. Aaron Rodgers' future in Green Bay. Big Ben wants one more try. Deshaun Watson officially requests a trade. Matthew Stafford is going to L.A. And then we'll wrap up with Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame. And then the High St. Louis pulled off Friday night. So let's recap Championship Sunday, shall we? So the first game on Sunday... Tampa Bay, 31. Green Bay, 26. This really, this came down to everything that I talked about on last week's episode on Saturday before um, Championship Sunday. And it all came down to Green Bay wasn't able to get any pressure on Tom Brady like they did Jared Goff the week prior. And then Tampa Bay was relentless in their pass rush and made Aaron Rodgers' life a living nightmare. And that's, that's seriously, that's all this thing came down to. Green Bay couldn't generate any pressure, especially on third down. I think at one point, Tampa Bay was like, I think they were eight for like 10 on third down at one point. They were all, what, I think for the game they were, yeah, they were 64% on third down. Green Bay's defense could not get off the field. Green Bay's defense really didn't play well at all, but they got three very important turnovers that kept Green Bay really in this game because... It looked like it was going to be a route. And then Tom Brady threw that first pick there. Tommy got a little greedy there. There was no need for him to force that ball in there. And Amos made a great play on it. But there was no, there was really no reason for him to make that throw. They were in complete control of that ball game. No reason for him to throw that. It was a really, it was an up and down game for Brady. It was kind of one of those games where you were surprised that at the end, Tampa Bay really advanced because Brady wasn't that great in the second half. Honestly, he made a really poor throw there. And that first one I was talking about the second throw, that ball really sailed on him. He had Mike Evans wide open there. They were going to be right inside the 10 yard line, ready to score again and really just put this game away. Ball got away from him off Mike Evans's fingertips. I mean, there was no chance for him to catch that football. A lot of people were like, Oh, it hit him in the hands. He's got to catch it. That was not, he was not going to be able to get that ball. Jay Alexander made another great play on the ball. And, That third one, I can't really get on him too much. He just tried to make a play to Mike Evans. Mike Evans didn't even track the ball. So, I don't Look, Mike Pedden announced he's not coming back. He did a horrible job uh, (laughs) on Sunday. But the defense did step up. They got him three turnovers, and they gave the ball to Aaron Rodgers right back, have a chance to get back in the football game, and then not even get back in the football game, but win this football game and... Uh, I just, I don't know how else to put, I mean, Green Bay, they should have won this football game, regardless of, oh, the officiating was terrible, and they missed all these calls, and they shouldn't have called that call at the end on on third and whatever to seal the game, whatever. All that aside, Green Bay should have won this football game. They got three turnovers in the second half. They scored six points off three Tampa Bay turnovers, two of them back-to-back three and outs for negative six yards. That's just unacceptable. It's unacceptable. The offense, it played good for stretches, but for the most part, it did not do what it needed to do. They should have won this football game, regardless of Matt LaFleur's horrible coaching there, kicking field goals inside of the 10, like, no. And especially on fourth down, kicking that field goal and then hoping that your defense will get a stop against Brady when it really hasn't done it all day. But Green Bay still should have won this football game, and they just they didn't make the plays that they needed to. And it was all because Tampa Bay's constant pressure on Rodgers, man. They got the five sacks. And Rodgers couldn't really hold the ball and let any of those plays materialize down the field besides that long play that they had to MVS there 
it was like a 55-yard bomb that they got in the first quarter to tie it up 7-7. But that was the only deep play they really had. And talking about it on Saturday before the game, that's the way you want to beat Tampa Bay. You want to throw the ball over top of them, and they're going to get beat every single time. I think it was Carlton Davis now has given up, I think it was like 300-some yards and two touchdowns in single coverage so far in the postseason. So he's getting cooked out there. But they couldn't really take advantage of it because Rodgers had no time out there. And JPP and Shaq Barrett, and it was just a phenomenal job by the pass rush. And, you know, Bowles did, Todd Bowles did an amazing job calling that defensive scheme. And it just had Rodgers really flustered most of the game. And Aaron, Aaron Jones couldn't get going on the ground. And it just, it just, you know, Green Bay, they've got to be kicking themselves. And they should have won this football game, plain and simple. I mean, Tom Brady gave them three, three gifts, three gifts. I mean, those three picks, he shouldn't have thrown any of those balls. And yet, he still didn't feel like Green Bay was going to win this game. After that second pick and they didn't do anything with it, you're like, they're they're not going to win this game, are they? And uh, you just you feel so, I don't know, I, I'm not a Green Bay fan, so I really don't care. But I think if I was a Green Bay fan, I think I'm more upset at the fact that Matt LaFleur just didn't, he didn't trust, he didn't trust Aaron Rodgers to go get eight yards on fourth down. You know, with your season on the line, like this is the all likely most valuable player, one of the most gifted quarterbacks we've ever seen, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and you take the ball out of his hand, you kick a field goal inside the 10 when you're trailing by eight with 205 left in the game. That's just that's I I, I don't understand how you even think that that's that's a great idea. You know, I just I don't get it. I, I I don't get it. I No one can explain it to me where it makes sense. It's one of the most cowardly things I've ever seen in my life. Like, we just watched Andy Reid a week before with the game on the line with his backup quarterback have no hesitation whatsoever and go for it to seal a ball game. And LaFleur didn't even do it. And you have to think, you know, a lot of people are crushing on Rodgers because he should have ran in for a touchdown on two of those plays there inside that last possession. He wasn't going to score in either one of those. I'm sorry. He was not going to score one of those. I'm sorry. JPP was going to get him on that last third down when he threw it into double coverage to Devontae Adams. JPP was going to crush him. You see the angle. He had no chance of scoring a touchdown there. Now, if he would have kept running, made a couple more yards, get inside the five, maybe the floor, the decision is a lot harder for him to kick the field goal there. I don't know. But I just, you have to go. You have to ride with Aaron Rodgers. I think as a Packers fan, you would feel better knowing that you had a chance there with the game on the line that your dude who got you here, you, you lived and died with Aaron Rodgers. But I just I just don't know how you do that. I just really don't, man. And that feels like such a kick in the head. It really does. I uh, I just can't believe that LaFleur did that, man. I, I couldn't believe it. I fell out of my seat when you know Crosby walked out there, and it's like, what is this guy doing? There's no way you're taking the game out of Aaron Rodgers' hand. And I just, I don't know, man. And kudos to the Bucks, though. They, they, you know, it looked for a while that this was going to be a route. And then Brady, you know, up and down, up and down game. You know, it's like how many games like that where Brady played that poorly for a long stretch of time does his team usually like win that football game? I mean, the defense was just phenomenal. And yeah, they got away with some hand fighting there on, you know, Bunting did get away with a grab there on Lazard on the pick that led to the Scotty Miller touchdown there. But 
I was just the difference between these two head coaches. Like Bruce Aarons didn't even think about it. Fourth and two, end of the half. He sends Brady out there, and what do they get? They get a long touchdown before the half to Scotty Miller, and it just gives them all the momentum in the world. It's just it's just a different philosophy from Arians and LaFleur. And it's kind of weird because LaFleur has been a pretty, like, ballsy kind of guy most of this season and most of his two years here with Green Bay. So it was just kind of weird that he wasn't as aggressive as he usually is. And, oh, man, if you're Green Bay, like, you got to be sick, man, because – Oh, you finally got that home playoff game, that home conference championship game that I've been hearing about nonstop with Aaron Rodgers. Like, well, he's all played them all on the road. Now he's going to get a home one, so this is it. No, it's not. <laughs> it wasn't it. Again, they lose a football game that they, they should have won this football game. And it's just a statement. And literally, it came down to every single thing that we were talking about on Saturday. If Green Bay was going to get the deep ball going, it was going to be a long day for Tampa Bay. And... If Green Bay wasn't going to be able to get to Tom Brady, it was going to be a long day for Green Bay. And that's what happened in the first half and most of the second, you know, the beginning of the third quarter there until Brady threw that careless pick that went into a whole spiral of him throwing picks. But he was moving up and down the field with ease. That first drive, oh my God. And why wasn't Jair Alexander following Mike Evans the whole game? That first two or three drives, it was just a breeze moving down the field. And then Chris Godwin makes that incredible play on third and short for like 40 yards down the field. And Brady was just, he looked really good still. And, you know, the arm looked really great. And I think the cold weather started to get to him towards the end of the game there because he wasn't really as sharp. Uh, he missed Godwin on a pretty easy one that ended up them kicking a field goal to make it 31-23. to 23. Instead, They could have had a touchdown on that drive and really iced it, but he missed Godwin on a really easy throw. And he was just off there. Late third quarter going into the fourth, he looked like he was just off and Give it to Green Bay, too. They had they dominated time of possession that second half, and it just felt like they had the ball for a really long time. It didn't really do anything with it. It was just, just such a weird game because Aaron Rodgers, he really played phenomenally. And, yeah, the one pick there, that's not really on him. I'm not going to put that on him. That was a – Bunting got away with a hold, and he made a great play on the ball. But, I mean, Rodgers was phenomenal. He really outplayed Brady in just about every way. And then we're talking about this now that Aaron Rodgers is a loser and it's kind of, uh, kind of sucks. And I kind of, I feel, I feel bad for Aaron Rodgers and I can understand his comments after the game where he's kind of questioning his future and questioning a lot of people's futures. And you know, these losses hurt now. I mean, he's getting up there in age. It's not like, you know, when he won the Super Bowl, you're thinking this guy is going to do this forever. He's going to be in the Super Bowl every year. He's going to be in the conference championship game every year. And then you lose early to the Giants, and you lose early to San Francisco, and you lose early to San Francisco again. And, you know, these losses just keep piling up, and it's just Rodgers is not getting any younger. And these losses just hurt more and more. This probably has to be, like, the worst loss he's ever gone through. And that was probably last year's, before this year, against San Francisco just getting drummed most of that game. It wasn't even a competition. But this year, to lose it the way you did, sitting on the sideline while Crosby kicks a, a field goal inside 10 yards, and then you watch Brady never give you the ball back, it's just, oh, it's a kick in the head. But Rodgers, he's not going anywhere, man. Like To think that Rodgers is going to demand a trade, or even if he does demand a trade, why would Green Bay do it? They would have to eat at least $31 million in dead money just this year to move Aaron Rodgers. Why would you do that? There's no package big enough to unload Aaron Rodgers. Why would Aaron Rodgers leave? Like, I just, 
I don't understand why people are freaking out. Like the sky's falling. That oh, Aaron Rodgers said some stuff. He said some. He says some stuff all the time where you make him think about his future and if he'll ever play again. And it's just the way he is. It's the way he said stuff last year. And people just manipulate every single thing just to get a story. Like Rodgers isn't going anywhere, man. He's going to be in Green Bay next year. The only way Green he's not in Green Bay next year is if Aaron Rodgers decides to retire. Which, you know, it really wouldn't shock me if he did. I think Rodgers would be one of those guys who would kind of retire remotely early, I guess. I mean, it wouldn't shock me, and but I, I just don't see that happening. I think they still have a really good football team. LaFleur and him have a really good connection there with this offense. It's really going, and they just make a few tweaks on the defensive end, and I think they're ready for another run. But for to think that Aaron Rodgers is going to not play in Green Bay anymore, that's it's kind of insane. We just got to gotta relax, just like Aaron said. R-E-L-A-X, relax, everything's all good. Yeah, he was butthurt that he just lost another conference championship. This one at home, a game he thoroughly should have won this football game, and he knows it, and he was frustrated. So, of course, he's going to question his future and question everything at all. Like, uh, that's not surprising at all. I just couldn't believe that that was as big of a story as it is. And people are texting me, he's like, you think Aaron Rodgers is going anywhere? No, he's not going anywhere. I'd bet my house on it. Aaron Rodgers isn't going anywhere. He's going to be Lambeau Field. Opening night next year, it's gonna be all good, but it's just gonna it's gonna be a little sore for a couple months here. It's gonna be it's gonna be rough for Aaron. I mean, that's that's a hard that's a hard loss to get over. It really is, man. And I couldn't imagine I couldn't imagine wanting to play football anymore after taking a loss like that. Especially just he didn't have a chance, man. And he even said it too. He felt like he he had two two more chances on second down there and. After third down, he's like, all right, I got one more chance after that. And then they bring in Crosby, and he never sees the field again. Just uh, just really frustrating, man. Just really frustrating. But Tom Brady, just the GOAT does what the GOAT does, man. He just goes to the, cha- the conference championship game his first year in the NFC. He already has more NFC championships than Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers already in year one. He takes the Bucks to their first Super Bowl since 2002. I mean, and it's in Tampa. I mean... That's just crazy. He is he is the GOAT, man. He's the greatest quarterback ever. And I think this one just kind of sealed it for me. I've always said that Tom Brady is the greatest of all time. And I always thought, you know, Rodgers is, you know, the most talented quarterback you'll ever see. And then Patrick Mahomes walked on the scene. But it's never it's never really been a conversation for me really to have. Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback to ever live. And I think, I think that just kind of stamped it, this kind of run he's on here. And then if he beats Patrick Mahomes this Sunday coming up, Man, it's it's a wrap for me. I I never want to hear anybody say anything different. Ed, he's going for his seventh Super Bowl. That's more than that'll be more than any franchise. Like that's insane. Ten trips to the Super Bowl now. Just win his greatness, man. And you know we'll get into the Super Bowl next week more. But it just this is honestly the perfect storm. Like I was talking about before the games last week. Like this is this is the perfect matchup. You know, Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. This is. Tom Brady with the icing on the cake of the greatest football player to ever live, beating the up-and-coming Mahomes, or this is the ultimate passing of the torch from Brady to Mahomes. This is your league now. You run the shit, and I can't wait. It's it's going to be so so good. But we'll get we'll get into the second game of Championship Sunday first, and then you know we'll let this week go by, and then we'll get more hardcore into the big game on next Sunday. So last game was Championship Sunday. I've already talked about Mahomes being in the Super Bowl against Brady. We already knew Kansas City was going to beat Buffalo. Like it wasn't, it wasn't really a doubt for me. I wasn't sitting there going, "Oh, I don't know, maybe." I was thinking 
you know, when I was laying this out, Buffalo had to do X, Y, and Z to make it a competitive game. I wasn't saying they could do this, this, and that to beat Kansas City. I just, I didn't see that being a thing that was going to happen. And, you know, 38 to 24, it wasn't even that close, honestly. I mean, Buffalo really only got a touchdown, honestly, in that because of a really bad play by Nicole Hardman. That's really it. I And then they got a garbage time score towards the end. But this was this was a beating. This was a thorough just domination by Kansas City on both ends of the field. They just they were just phenomenal, man. Kansas City 38, Buffalo 24, like I said. And Buffalo, they just couldn't stop anything at all. And especially they couldn't stop Travis Kelsey, and they couldn't stop Tyreek Hill. And going into the game, it was like, you got to stop one or the other. You can't let both of them go off. And they both just torched both of them. I mean, the best play of the game was ended up to being a drop that 45 yarder down the field of Tyree Kill in like the third play of the game. That was the only time that they stopped Kansas City from moving down the field and scoring. And it was on a drop ball that was right in Tyree Kill's hands. I mean, Buffalo couldn't do anything. And they decided just to die by a thousand paper cuts and just play super soft. They didn't really rush Patrick Mahomes that often. And. Holmes just took everything that they gave him, you know, six, seven yards here to Kelsey, six, seven yards here to Kelsey, a dump off here, a dump off there, maybe a quick little out to Tyreek Hill and his game-breaking speed who turns it into a 70-yard play like that. But Buffalo was just outmatched and outgunned in every single position. And I said, you know, it would be a game if Josh Allen was throwing the football more like he did in the regular season and in the wild card game against Indianapolis than he did against Baltimore in the in the divisional game. And he threw the ball like he did, you know, the year prior and against the Ravens in the divisional game. He was horrible. He made a lot of stupid decisions that should have turned into interceptions, but they didn't. Um, he just was really poor. And Kansas City's blitz really rattled him. And he just couldn't get it going all day. And he was very off on the deep ball. They completely neutralized Stefan Diggs, and I was talking about this is only a game if Allen and Diggs really got it going, and especially deep down the field. That's another one where I was talking about, like Kansas City, or like Tampa Bay, Kansas City is very susceptible to the deep ball down the field. Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs just could not get it going, and it was a rough night for Buffalo. And, you know, they got up 9 nothing because they missed the extra point there off the Hardman fumble, and... That was kind of just, okay, as soon as they mixed the extra point, I'm like, well, you know, here comes Kansas City. It just felt deflating when they missed that extra point. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, it looked, 10 nothing looks a lot better than 9 nothing. You know, it's just weird. It's some kind of psychological thing. I don't know what it was. But I was just like, this is not going to last very long at all. And then Mahomes walks them right down the field. They score a touchdown. I think they score, what, 24 unanswered points. And then... You know, Buffalo goes down there, and then they kick a 25-yard field goal. What are we doing here? Again, with the... The cowardly coaching stuff. What is McDermott, McDermott doing? They were showing no signs of stopping Kansas City at all defensively. You need to be score for score, touchdown for touchdown. You're not going to kick field goals and beat Patrick Mahomes. You're not going to do it. It's just it's not going to happen. The lowest point total that has beaten Patrick Mahomes before is 36 points. That's you have to score points, man. You have to score points if you beat Mahomes, and that's you're not going to do that kicking 30 yards and end field goals. That's going to get you beat. 10 times out of 10, and especially in the postseason, especially if you're playing Brady, especially if you're playing Mahomes, kicking field goals inside the red zone, it's not going to get it done. And 
they didn't really use Josh Allen's legs at all there inside the 20. It was kind of confusing. I mean, he was running the ball pretty well. Like I said, he was going to be the only rushing option for them going into this game. He had 88 yards rushing all and just broken plays, just making it happen. And they didn't do any of that inside the red zone. It was, it was kind of confusing why they didn't use him. I mean, he is a absolute nuclear warhead inside the 20. And they didn't really take advantage of that at all. It was just kind of vanilla down there. And Shocking. They they didn't really score a lot of points there, and Mahomes just did whatever he wanted. He was in complete control, and it's it's it really is. It's just it's unbelievable that you know Mahomes really hasn't been stopped this postseason. I think what he's punted twice. Kansas City's offense has punted twice since Mahomes is is in the lineup. You know the Henny stuff. You know with Cleveland. You know the punt interception that he had there in the red zone, and then they punted one other point, but. Mahomes hasn't been stopped. He's just a buzzsaw right now. And there just wasn't, I just didn't see a way for Buffalo to stop them in any way. And, you know, uh, I guess the one downfall is that Kansas City really didn't get the run game going at all, but they didn't have to. That short passing game was essentially their run game, and they didn't have to worry about running the football. There was just, there was nothing that Buffalo could do. It was weird. I was just waiting for them to kind of turn up the heat a little bit. But again, they just wanted to die by a thousand paper cuts. You're not going to beat us over the top and quick, it's going to be slow. And painful and Mahomes, that's okay with him. He can beat you anyway. And methodically moving down the field or seventy yards over your head before you know it. It's just Kansas City is just they are they're another weapon, man. It's it's crazy to think that a football team can kind of do that. LeBron like Miami Heatles kind of just flip the switch and oh right, we're unstoppable. You know, because they kind of sleepwalk sometimes where you're like, How how have they scored fifty points this game? How how have they how are they been stopped? It's just, it's impossible to think that they ever have been stopped before, but they kind of take plays off. They miss some things. They're kind of lackadaisical at times. And then when they're on, good luck. It's just a complete buzzsaw. So, I mean, it was a good year for Buffalo and they got some stuff to, to work on. Obviously, Josh Allen has to work on decision-making and they got to figure out a way to they got to get a run game going. It can't all be just Josh Allen throwing the football because eventually the real Josh Allen's going to start to come out. And Kansas City did a phenomenal job of attacking him, attacking him, attacking him, and speeding up the thought process for him. And he made some horrible decisions, man, a horrible decision after a horrible decision, man. And he really came away from that game unscathed somehow without throwing like four interceptions that were clearly in Kansas City players' hands, and they just dropped the football. Um. That was mostly his entire season, honestly. And I know I sound like a hater now, but honestly, if you go back, he he got away with a lot of throws this season, a lot of throws that he didn't get away with his first two years in the league. But Josh Allen still, he's a phenomenal talent. He's a lot of fun to watch. He just he's got a lot of work to do. And, you know, I think Buffalo's on the right track here. They just need to show up that defense a little bit. And they got to get another, you know, guy next to Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley because, you know, Davis is, is pretty good. But I think they get one more wide receiver and John Brown. He just was nowhere to be found again. So they got to upgrade that wide receiver core and the Buffalo. They're on the rise, man. And Buffalo and Miami looks really good. And then if the Jets, you know, swing for the fences to get to Sean, that's really that's going to be a really fun division. And who knows what New England's going to do with their quarterback situation. But, you know, the AFC East could be a lot of fun. And I, I just don't, I don't think it's a runaway that it's Buffalo's just division for a long time, like a Tom Brady-esque kind of run where 
it's just going to be Josh Allen's division to win for a long time. I think Miami's going to have something to say about that because they also they could swing for the fences too and get to Sean Watson. So that completely changes the whole landscape of the division there. But this is this is all about Kansas City, man. Kansas City is just in another class, and this this was the best teams all year, honestly. And you know, as much as I talked about how Pittsburgh was, you know, the best team in the league, and they could do it, but they didn't. They didn't win the games that they had to win. So these are the two best teams left, and we're talking about you know that Super Bowl criteria and what has propelled Tampa Bay kind of in this run here is that they've gotten after the quarterback and they've taken the football away and them getting after Rodgers and then those turnovers that they hit them with with a flurry real quick they got that forced fumble they got that pick it just it took the game like out of Green Bay's reach and they kind of Tampa Bay let them right back in with some costly turnovers but Tampa Bay I mean in the New Orleans game before you knew it, they turned that game on its head real quick because they got pressure on on Breeze and they forced him into some really quick turnovers and then the game's over. Like you have to take the football away. And that's something that Kansas City can do at times, but they don't do it to the way that Tampa Bay does it. And they don't get after the quarterback the way that Tampa Bay does. But if they don't get after Mahomes, it's gonna be like it looked like in the first half of their week seven, what was it, week ten or whatever they matched up against each other. I can't remember what day it was, but Tyreek Hill was going to go for the receiving record in the first half. I mean, it was just a sure domination because they couldn't get after Mahomes, and Mahomes was just beating him down the field. And Tampa Bay did a really great job of adjusting the second half and really turning up the heat Bulls did. He just sent everybody, and they really started to get after Mahomes and make life difficult for him. And then Brady started to click and started to figure out some things to beat this Kansas City defense. So Super Bowl is going to be great. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so excited by that, and... We just got to get into this just cowardly coaching that's that went on in this postseason. Like every team that's lost so far, you can point to a single moment where it's like that guy was a complete coward. It started with Mike Vrabel, wild card weekend against Baltimore. His team is down seventeen to thirteen on the fourth. And you're at your forty, facing a fourth and two, and you have the rushing leader Derrick Henry, and you punt like. And you punt, and Baltimore goes, and they just run the clock forever, kick a field goal, and then you literally have no time to go down and try and tie the football game. It just, just go for it, man. And I just the way that their defense was playing at that point, there's no way you could have been like, oh, we'll just pin him down, and then we'll get a stop. Lamar was on fire, and that running game was really going. They had no answer for it. You were not going to get the ball back at a decent time with with flipping the field position. Just go for it, and it ended up it burned him in a pain. And that you just you can't coach that way and expect to win, not only win but go far in the postseason. Punting like or just punting in those situations, and same thing with Mike Tomlin. Like he punted two times in that Browns loss where. It was 28-0 early, second quarter. You're trying to get back in the game. I believe they were inside their own 45, and he punted the football back to Cleveland. It's like, what are you doing? Just go for it, man. And then later on in the game, so it's the end of the third quarter. You're facing a fourth and one. Tomlin, he tries to get him to go off sides, whatever. The clock runs out, and we're starting the fourth quarter. Okay, so he's had the whole TV timeout to think about this. And then he sends the offense out there. Okay, cool. So then he tries to get them to jump off sides again. They get delay a game. He punts the football. Like, what the? F- fourth and one on the 46, the way the offense was moving there in the second half, 
This is a two-possession ball game. You've clawed your way back to cut this to a one-score game if you go down and score here. The defense hasn't really been able to get any stops. The offense is what's carrying you right now, and you punted the football away. And then Cleveland goes down, they march down the field, and they score another touchdown. And then that was it. That was the nail in the coffin. And I just can't believe that Mike Tomlin did that. It was just so cowardly. And as soon as he punted that football, I knew Pittsburgh had no chance winning that football game. All hope, all the momentum in the world, gone just because he punted the football there and it was completely cowardly and the punt ended up going like 30 yards so it didn't even pin Cleveland back anyway so it was just a complete failure in just all forms and the defense didn't get a stop either just none of it worked and it just oh just so frustrating think about it I can't believe he did it the 28-01 really pissed me off because it's like dude we're down four touchdowns here what are you doing why are you punting this just go for it man what's the worst that can happen we literally already got a touchdown the first five seconds of the game with a snap over our head, and you're going to punt it on fourth and two inside of your own 46. Just unbelievable, man. I'm still infuriated by that. And, you know, it just it just goes back to this weekend, man. I, I talked about it with LaFleur, and I still, it's still, like I said, it still doesn't make sense, man. It really doesn't. And I get it. It's 205, so you're going to have four timeouts, you're hoping your defense gets a stop, but it's you're giving the ball back to Tom Brady. You're giving the ball back to the GOAT on purpose, thinking, oh, Mike Pettin's going to draw something up. We're going we're gonna to get the ball back real quick, and we're going to have time to go back and score another touchdown. Just score the touchdown now. You're already there. You're going to kick a field goal and go, all right, we'll march down the field and we'll score another touchdown again. No, you're already here. You're eight yards away from scoring a touchdown. With the MVP of the league, I'm just going to kick it. What are you doing, dude? I just I just don't get it. I don't understand it. You just got too cute. Just go for it, man. Just go for it. And what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that happens? You don't get it. Okay. Tampa Bay starts inside their own eight-yard line. There's a good way for you to flip field position, and you're working on a short field if you get a quick three and out. It's a better chance for Rodgers to go down the field and take the chance of tying it again. Like, there's just no wrong answer here besides the only wrong answer was kicking the field goal. That's the only wrong answer. You weren't going to get the ball back. You just weren't. And you weren't. There's no way you could have thought, yeah, Tom Brady's going to screw this up. We're going to get the ball right back. No, you're not. And then the way the clock was, was, was the situation of the clock, it gave Tom Brady a chance to throw the football down the field, got them eight quick yards, and then they, they got, you know, it was a very smart play by Green Bay to give them the first down on the neutral zone infraction that was really smart but still you didn't have to do all that stuff if you just just go for it man just trust Aaron Rodgers I just don't get it and you're down eight from the eight yard line just go for it it's just what's the worst that can happen you don't get it okay again Tampa Bay starting at the eight you get a quick stop you use a couple timeouts you're gonna get the ball at least at the 40 yard line inside their 50 at least with a good return like maybe he shakes the punt and you start at the 30 it's just uh every time someone just kicks a field goal inside the 10 it drives me insane I don't even care what time in the game it is just go for it man what's the worst that could happen dude I just uh those things just drive me insane man he just you get the ball back to Tom Brady it just I, I don't get it and then McDermott man like he brought <laughs> I just don't get it. He, 
you're kicking field goals against Mahomes. Like Mahomes is just walking all the way down the field and scoring touchdowns every single drive. And you just think, we'll just kick three here. It's all good. We'll kick the 25-yarder. We're good. What do you just go for it, man? Use Josh Allen's legs. He's been killing them with his legs all night, and they didn't do anything like that inside the red zone. It just made no sense, man. And uh, I thought McDermott did a really good job this year. I thought he was one of the favorites for coach of the year. Oh, Freckles was a really, he did a really great job this year. And it just, it left a, just a horrible taste in my mouth that he just, he lost all that aggressiveness that he had all year. Same thing with the floor. Like, where was that aggressiveness that got you to this point? Like, you stay aggressive, man. And that's going to get you beat. Just cowardly coaching is going to get you beat every single time, man. And it's just, it's, it's unexcusable. Uh, it's just, it's unexcusable. And look at the coaches that are in the Super Bowl now. We talked about it. Arians, man. He went for it. Fourth and two. No hesitation. Less than what? What was there? 11, 12 seconds left in the game? Go for it. Let's go. It turns into a Scotty Miller touchdown. Just went for it. No no questions asked. He did a couple times in that game. was a fourth and short. He just went for it, and it worked. That's just because he trusted his team. He's got the greatest quarterback of all time. Of course you're going to go for it. That should have been LaFleur's thinking. I have Aaron Rodgers. I'm good. I can do anything with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams. This has been the best red zone offense like in the league, and they just they didn't go for it. It's it's just unbelievable. And the Andy Reid, I mean, fourth and one with the game on the line, essentially with your backup quarterback in, no hesitation whatsoever. Wins the football game, and it's just Andy Reid. There's no question he would have went for it on fourth and goal at the eight yard line, trailing eight points. There's no way he would have kicked a field goal. There's no way. Bruce Arians would have kicked a field goal there. There's no way. But I guarantee you, Mike Vrabel would have kicked a field goal. Mike Tomlin would have kicked a field goal. Matt LaFleur kicked a field goal. And we know damn sure that Sean McDermott would have kicked a field goal because that's what he did against Mahomes. It's just, I don't, I don't get it, man. And I know you always say, oh, you got to take the points. You got to take the points. But you can get more points. You should always take more points. Always. You should always take more points. I don't know. I, I don't understand that. Like, Always take the more points. Always. You should always take the most points possible. So if you have a chance to score a touchdown, score a touchdown. You know? Oh, I don't like them going for it here inside the five. Why? Because if they get it, they get seven points instead of three. There you go. Like, it's going to come back to bite you. If you're kicking field goals inside the red zone, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fucking bite you. And that's exactly what happened to Green Bay. They kicked two field goals inside the red zone. Sean McDermott and the Bills, they kicked two field goals inside the red zone. When Brady was inside the red zone, he scored touchdowns. When Mahomes was in the red zone, he scored touchdowns. And that's that's what wins every single time. And it's not that hard. But, you know, it is what it is, man. We got the two best teams in the league going against each other next week and the Super Bowl. Could be more excited about it because I was going to be very upset if it happened to be Josh Allen versus Aaron Rodgers. That wouldn't have been my my ideal Super Bowl there, but... Brady versus Mahomes. Now we're talking, and I'm I'm so excited. I'm so excited for this game, man. But I don't just cowardly coaching, man. It just it really frustrates me. It really frustrates me. It should frustrate the fans more. Like fans shouldn't be upset that Aaron Rodgers didn't do this or he didn't run in that or whatever. You should be upset that your head coach didn't give him a chance on fourth down. That's what you should be upset about. Bills fans should be upset that McDermott didn't give Josh Allen a chance two times, at least two times in the red zone there. 
Because if they would have punched those scores in, I mean, it's a more respectable game, and you're kind of putting more pressure on Mahomes to kind of make be perfect. And I mean, that wouldn't have made a difference. Mahomes was perfect, but I don't know. I I don't know, man. It's ugh. I get. I guess you can't like Monday quarterback it. I guess. I mean, what if it did work out? But you know, who knows? But we'll never know because you know the game's over now, and that's not how things work. So. Ugh, Carly head coaching is just uh, whatever, man. And Big Ben, you know, I was talking about it last week that, you know, they signed Haskins and maybe it's time that, you know, it looked like Ben was kind of on his way out. And, you know, Marquise Pouncey, it came out that he was most likely going to retire. And it felt like, well, that felt like the kind of nudge that Ben needed to just go ahead and just be at home. And because, you know, his only motivation is to get one for Pouncey. And, you know, if Marquise isn't going to come back, I just don't see the reason for Ben to come back. I mean, I don't want the guy to retire. I'm No, look, I do want him to retire, but I don't I'm not one of these people where like he has to retire. I, I If he wants to retire, cool. If he wants to play another year. Cool. I think he's owed that. I think he is owed that. He's one of the. I think he's the best quarterback in franchise history, obviously. And I think you kind of let him, if he wants to play as long as he wants, you you kind of you let him do that, you know. And he's given a lot to this franchise. He's brought a lot of success to it. So I think he's allowed to kind of play as long as he wants to. And I honestly think it's a better situation anyway going forward. If it's Big Ben still playing, then Mason Rudolph starting the year, or Dwayne Haskins starting the year. So if Ben did retire, were they really going to do everything possible to get to Sean Watson? Absolutely not. They weren't going to. There's no way. That's not Pittsburgh style, man. Were they going to do everything possible to get Matthew Stafford? No way. As much as I try to talk it into existence, that's not Pittsburgh style, man. They were not going to make a flashy trade like that where we were going to end up with Matthew Stafford, Deshaun Watson. I mean, everyone was talking about, well, it makes sense for Aaron Rodgers to be in Pittsburgh. No, it doesn't. In what way does that make sense? How would that even happen? What kind of cap ramifications would that have? Do you even know? Like, just because a team, okay, they have an aging quarterback, that doesn't mean they're going to be in on every single quarterback. Like, that quarterback room, apparently to all the bloggers and the people on social media, was going to be Big Ben, Carson Wentz, Deshaun Watson, Aaron Rodgers, Jameis Winston, Dwayne Haskins, and Mason Rudolph, and then Matthew Stafford later on. They were going to have eight quarterbacks in that room. I don't know how they were going to get all these quarterbacks, but that's all it was this entire time. Yeah, Big Ben's got to go. Well, if Big Ben does stay, they should make a move for Matthew Stafford. How? How would they do that? The cap. It doesn't make any sense. They're cap-strapped as it is. How are they going to get Matthew Stafford? How? How are they going to get Deshaun Watson? I just don't get it. It just it doesn't make any sense. The the move here is you just try one more time with Big Ben. That's it. Like, I, as much as I would love Matthew Stafford to be in, in Pittsburgh, as much as I would love Deshaun Watson to be in Pittsburgh, it's just it's not realistic. It's not going to happen. The best, the best way going forward, one more shot. You give Ben, you give all those guys one more chance. And I think they still could do it. I think they really need to get a run game. They need, hopefully Matt Canada can really change this offense into a more balanced offense because it just can't all be Ben throwing the football. It, not at his age, not in his point in his career. If they can get a little bit of balance, sure. Bring Ben back, 
This offense will still be pretty good. And even if they don't bring Juju back, which I highly doubt they're going to do, he's going to be getting around what Robert Woods is making, which is about 17 mil a year. I just, I don't think that's going to happen. You can move forward with James Washington, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, Eric Ebron, Benny Snell, Anthony McFarland. You let James Conner walk. You draft um, some kind of running back. I don't know if, how high. I I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't draft Najee Harris, twenty fourth overall. I'd rather get a center or a tackle instead of drafting a running back in the first round. That generally doesn't work out for most teams. But I I don't. It just this is this is the right move. It's the only move literally they can make. It, it just it doesn't make sense reading all these articles. I don't even click on them most of the time because they don't make sense. It just. It doesn't. It, this is the only course of action that Pittsburgh can really take here. One more time with the fat man, and if you can't get it done, then okay, we get ready for 2022 and we see what happens. But this defense is ready to win now. Um, it sucks that you know they're probably going to lose Bud Dupree, which it was a huge shot to them at the end of the year. Alex Highsmith looked okay, but he's not going to be Bud Dupree, and it just. Um, Oh, and the TJ Watt stuff, or the JJ Watt stuff, that's not going to happen. Please stop writing it. Please stop talking about it. There's no way in hell that JJ Watt is playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Literally, the only way that would happen is if the Houston Texans cut JJ Watt and then JJ decides to play in Pittsburgh for one year, $1.75 million. How realistic is that? Honestly, sit there and think. Logically, would you do that if you're J.J. Watt? Well, he's already rich. Okay, why would any player, especially of J.J. Watt's caliber, who was Pro Football Focus's sixth-ranked edge player last year within, like, 85 rating, who's still, he's not watched like people say he is. He's still a damn good football player. Why would he only play for less than $2 million when there are so many teams who would throw so much money at him just because he wants to play with his two brothers? Come on, guys. Let's Come on, let's be a little realistic here. I'm just, I don't know how this team, who, who beats this team? You have TJ Watt, you have JJ Watt, and then on offense, you could just take turns at quarterback with Matthew Stafford, Deshaun Watson, Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers. How do you even beat that team? It'd be unstoppable, but uh, this is this is the only course of action to go forward. And, you know, the Roonies want Big Ben back. They want it not at that cap number, which is understandable. They don't want him at $19 million to cap it. It's not 41. Also, it's not 41. Stop writing that his cap hit is 41. It's not 41. It's 19. It's 19. That's his cap hit this year. It's $19 million. Stop writing that as $41 million. Just look at the books for like a second before you write stuff. It's not 41. It's 19 million. And they'll figure out a way. They're going to rework the deal. They're going to turn them into some voidable years. It's just it's the best course of action and expect a wide extension and expect Cameron Hayward to get his deal reworked. Everyone's going to do some restructuring. It's going to be fine. They're going to make another run. Is it going to go to the Super Bowl? I don't know. I thought this one was going to go to the Super Bowl, but I'm a homer idiot, so I don't know what's going to happen. But Big Ben's coming back. I think he deserves that respect to come back. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, Ike Taylor has been very critical and says that, you know, Ben should 100% retire and if you take a step back, he probably should retire. But I think he deserves the respect of playing until he doesn't want to play anymore. I think he's earned that respect, but that's just me. I I, I don't know. But 
you know, I was just talking about Matthew Stafford, so we'll get into the Matthew Stafford trade. This was absolutely beautiful. This is such a great move. And I was talking about last week, you know, we were talking about MCDC, old uh, Motor City, Dan Campbell. He's coming in. They're biting kneecaps. They're beating people up. And I'm saying, like, Matthew Stafford is not going to be there. And this week, he requested a trade. Thank God. They got him out of Detroit, and they said he was going to be traded by the Super Bowl. So I was like, okay, so he'll get traded you know, sometime this week. And then Saturday, it gets announced. Stafford for golf, two firsts and a third. And you know, they only got, you know, I think they would have only gotten one first from everybody else. But L.A. was like, no, here, take two so we don't have to deal with Jared Goff anymore. So uh, I thought this was just a slam dunk. It'll probably be good for Jared Goff too, because it you could just tell that McVeigh has kind of given up on him, and I think Goff just needs a change of scenery. I don't think Detroit is the greatest change of scenery, but I think you know Goff even said in his comments he's just excited because he wants to be somewhere where people appreciate him or want him there. So that speaks a lot, and you could just tell the last couple of weeks of the season that McVeigh is just he's so done with Jared Goff. So. This, I thought this was a great move. And, you know, is that a lot for Matthew Stafford? Possibly. But, again, this defense is ready to win now. This is a really good defense. And, McVay, that scheme is going to be insane with a guy of the caliber of Matthew Stafford. I mean, he had the highest QBR from the pocket this past season at, like, 85. He was at uh, just under 67% completing his passes from the pocket, which led the league. 17 touchdowns, only three picks. Matthew Stafford is a damn good quarterback, and I'm just excited for him to have a consistent, a plus defense for once. I mean, yes, I know. Matthew Stafford hasn't won a lot, and I know it's some of it is him, but Jesus Christ, you ever go back and watch some of those old Megatron and Stafford days where, like, they were shootouts. Like, they would score 30-some points, and they still had to come back in the fourth quarter there because the defense has given up 35 points, 40 points. I mean... I'm just excited for him to have a, a remotely good defense. And the most important thing is a running game. Matthew Stafford is going to have a running game, ladies and gentlemen. Like, I cannot I cannot wait to see Matthew Stafford have a bounced offense with a plus defense behind him and see what happens here. I mean, Matthew Stafford has had nine. Yes, I said nine. Less than ten. I can count it on two, two hands. Both my hands. I can count. How many 100-yard rushers Matthew Stafford has had in his career? Nine. That is insane, dude. Like, him and Cam Akers in the backfield with Tyler Higby at tight end and Gerald Everett, who's a really great number two tight end, with Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. I mean, in McVay's offense, it's going to be bananas. I'm so excited. LA is going to be must-watch television. I am so, so excited and for Detroit, you know, I, I'm glad they did right by Matthew Stafford. And he requested a trade, and they're like, okay, let's go ahead and get this done. And they didn't drag it out. They did right by him because Matthew Stafford did everything possible he could for that city, for that franchise. He was just a model guy, and, you know, they deserved he deserved to be done the way he got done there. So um, hats off to Detroit. Uh, good luck, Jared Goff. I mean, I don't know how it's going to work out for him, honestly. Um I think Goff is a decent quarterback. I think I think McVay did a really great job of kind of um, hiding his flaws early on. And then it's kind of got to the point where Goff, he, he just 
Goff just couldn't make the plays to make that scheme work. So I'm I'm really excited for this. This was just an ultimate slam dunk, and I would have given up that much to get Matthew Stafford as well. You know, that's a good kind of um, a segue kind of into the Deshaun Watson talk because, you know, I was talking about Watson. You know, he doesn't want to be there, but he didn't officially make a trade request, you know, last week. He officially did it this week. I think it was about Tuesday. And then Houston, they announced that they hired uh, Dave Cooley, um, not Eric Biamy. For some reason, he was the former Ravens assistant head coach, wide receivers coach. They hired him. And during his intro press conference with GM uh, Nick Casario, they both said that the franchise has no interest whatsoever in trading Deshaun Watson. Cooley even said at one point, the reason I'm in this position is because of Deshaun Watson and we have great plans for him going forward. We can't wait to see what this team is going to be like with Deshaun Watson. I just, I don't know what you do here, but I mean, um, if Matthew Stafford went for two firsts and a third, what does that mean that Deshaun Watson is going to go for? I mean, this is just, this is Marla Stanfield telling the co-op the price of the brick just went up. I mean, when that deal went up, I mean, I saw that deal. You just knew that Deshaun Watson is going to get, he is going to get Houston just this insane haul. At least that's what you think, right? Like that's what you would think that he's going to at least get three or four first rounds for Houston, right? I mean, you can't come to the table without at least three or they'd hang up on you at this point. But how long how long does this go on? How long do they drag this out until the point where you lose value of how much you can get for Watson because you're waiting for the right deal, and then it gets ugly in the media, and then you have to just at the point where you just have to take anything possible just to make this deal happen. I just, I'm worried that Houston is going to kind of blow this. And then I was reading right before I recorded that, you know, I just said the sentiments from the GM and head coach. They don't plan on, on, you know, trading him. But then you read from um, McCain down there in Houston Chronicle who said that Houston was interested in a pick package of a two first rounders, at least two second or third rounders, and then two young defensive starters. And well, it's like, well, it sounds like you're pricing Deshaun Watson. So you have some remote interest in trading him. So, I feel like whoever makes the the boldest trade offer, they're going to get Deshaun Watson. And look, if I'm the Jets, if I'm the Dolphins, if I'm San Francisco, I mean, San Francisco, come on. I know I follow a lot of people who are in the Bay Area because of like Warriors Twitter and stuff like that, but they are sick to their stomach that they had to watch L.A. get Matthew Stafford for almost nothing. I mean, that's really, that's not that much for a guy, the caliber of Matthew Stafford. It's really not, and... For Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch to not make that move, I mean, Stafford would have made a lot of sense for Kyle Shanahan as well. And you just got to think that they could just pony up and just make that move for Deshaun Watson. And, you know, you got to keep up. I mean, you got Kyler, you got Russ, and now you got Stafford in that division. And then you got Sex Grossman, Jimmy G out there, who who, he just stinks. And uh, for San Francisco, it's it's really just going to blow a, a fantastic defense that they have there, a really great scheme that Kyle Shanahan has. It just it would be a perfect fit for Deshaun. And if I'm Chicago, I'm giving everything possible for Deshaun Watson. There's not a lot of teams that would be like, ah, they they don't need to go get Deshaun Watson. They they're fine. But I mean, I would give everything and more 
Deshaun Watson. I'll give you fir- four first-round picks. Who cares? I'll give you my first-born child, my second-born child, whatever it takes to get Deshaun Watson. I'm doing it. I mean, you got to, right? You're going. You're taking on a superstar, generational talent at quarterback who's only 25 years old. You got him under control for multiple years and a pretty... It's not that bad when you look at Mahomes' deal, the deal that Lamar's about to get. He's going to be on the cheap here pretty soon, and it's 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 a you have to do it. You have to do everything you can to get a guy like Deshaun Watson, man. And a lot of people talk about you know first round picks are really important. In a way, they are. As long as if you're good at drafting, they're important. If you're not good at drafting, they don't matter at all. You're just wasting time. It's if you're really shitty at drafting, that's part of the reason that the the Patriots dynasty kind of, the door kind of slammed shut on because they didn't do a very good job of drafting the past three or four years in the first and second round. They missed on a lot of guys. That probably would have kept that window open, and Tommy Brady's probably still in New England if they would have hit on a couple first-round wide receivers, a couple second-round wide receivers, or a couple tackles or something like that, but they didn't. They missed. There's a way bigger risk in taking a guy in the first round than there is in selling a couple of first-round picks for a known commodity. Not even a known commodity, but a superstar, generational quarterback in this league in Deshaun Watson, who just had one of the most efficient seasons passing the football you will ever see with one of the most dogshit football teams there is. So this is a it's a no-brainer for me, and I just I don't understand the kind of like, well, I mean, picks are really important. You can't really get rid of picks. I can easily get rid of picks. I don't care. Fuck them kids. I would get rid of picks so quickly, I wouldn't even care. Like the Rams. I don't think the Rams have a first-round pick for the next, like, five years. Who cares, dude? It doesn't matter. They draft pretty well enough in the second, third, fourth round. They'll be fine. Like, a lot of people are too worried about first-round picks. when They just overthink this thing. You get Deshaun Watson, or you get three guys who could turn into Deshaun Watson, or who could turn into a Pro Bowl player. We don't know yet because we've never seen him play in the league. You know what you're getting Deshaun Watson. Again, you're getting a generational talent at quarterback. It's pretty easy for me. I would... I would do anything it takes if I was the Jets. I would do anything it takes, man. I would do anything. He's Deshaun wants to go to the Jets or he wants to go to the Dolphins. Just if I'm one of the whatever it takes, man, I don't even care. You can sleep with my wife. If that's a part of the deal, I don't care. Just go ahead. Give me Deshaun Watson. Whatever it takes, dude. Just just whatever it takes, man. So uh, I just it's kind of weird how people kind of treat picks. I, I don't know. I've always been one of those where like I don't care. Like even when I was like when I play Madden and like 2K and stuff like that, I'll I'll give away picks so easy. I don't even care, dude. Because it's a crapshoot. The draft is a crapshoot. Like you're trading what could be something. You're trading the mystery box for, you know, a known thing. It's not that hard to me, but whatever, man. Um, you know, uh whatever. I just go get Deshaun Watson. Somebody go get Deshaun Watson already. Like, it's not hard. Like, you just got to wow them with a, with an offer. You just have to come with a great offer that they can't refuse, right? That's It's not that hard. So, Chicago, Jets, uh, who else? The Panthers, uh, who else? The Colts, they're not going to trade in division, obviously. I, I doubt that would happen. So, the Colts, they could probably try anything, but it's probably not going to work. But the Colts, I'm really shocked they missed out on Stafford, but... The Niners, the Niners, San Francisco, just go get Deshaun Watson, man. You just, and you'll put yourself right in the Super Bowl, man. They get Deshaun Watson in that scheme with Shanahan, with that defense, that's that's a Super Bowl contender immediately. So whatever it takes, bro. But Shanahan's not going to do that. 
He's going to go, oh, you know, I'm a brainiac. I'm a genius. I can make anything work with anything. And he's going to somehow get Kirk Cousins. And then that's just going to be absolutely ridiculous. But just go get to Sean Watson. It's not hard, man. And something that also isn't hard is putting Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame. Okay? I just... All right? He did He did steroids. So so what, man? Who cares? Is that really that big of a deal that he took steroids? Do you know how much hard work and dedication it takes to be on a steroid cycle? Like, the dedication you have to have to work out that much, to eat that much, to make sure that your body is at peak physical performance with taking steroids and stuff like that. It's such a dedication. I mean, to me, like, if someone takes steroids, man, this guy really cares. He wants to be the best ever. Like, I I do not care about steroids in any way, and no one should care about steroids either. Like, the steroid era was the best era we've ever had in Major League Baseball. And Barry was... First and foremost there, he was the dude. And Barry Bonds is one of the greatest baseball players ever. And I don't care if he took steroids or not. The dude is a freak of nature. Like, he's the home run king. And whether you like it or not, whether he did steroids or not, it still says he's number one all time. Hank Aaron's number two. Barry Bonds is your home run leader. I mean, he's a, he's 1,000% a Hall of Famer. This is so stupid. I hate this thing. Like, ugh, Barry Bonds, he's a seven-time MVP. He's a 14-time All-Star, a 12-time Silver Slugger, 8-time Gold Glover. His career averages, he hits 298 for his career, 2,935 hits, 762 home runs. As I said, he's the home run king, 601 doubles, 77 triples, 1,996 RBIs, over 2,500 walks. 688 of those were intentional. Teams were walking him on purpose with the bases fucking loaded. Okay, the guy was an animal. The guy is, he was one of the most feared players in any sport. He was, he's one of the best, man. I just, I don't understand why this is such, this is so difficult. Just to go, okay, he's in the Hall of Fame. Whether you like it or not, he's in the Hall of Fame. Same thing with Pete Rose. Like, what are we doing here? He gambled? So what, dude? <laughs> Who can He can't get in the Hall of Fame because of that? Because he gambled sometimes, like any other player hasn't done that in any other sport ever. But Pete Rose, no, you're not allowed in. Why, dude? It's a Hall of Fame. Like, that has nothing to do with him as a player. It's so dumb. The Hall of Fame is so fucking stupid. But Barry Bonds, he's all, I don't care about Kurt Schilling not getting it. Kurt Schilling is a giant douche anyway. And he probably doesn't even have that great of a resume to get in the Hall of Fame either. So I'm not, I'm not crying crocodile tears that Kurt Schilling didn't get in. That guy's a complete douchebag. So, Good riddance. I, and he goes, oh, I don't care about the Hall of Fame anymore. Good, dude. We don't care if you don't care. Go away. You're such an asshole. But Barry Bonds, it's kind of, what are we doing here? Like, look at his numbers, dude. <laughs> like, he's fourth all-time in OPS. He's fifth all-time in slugging percentage. He's sixth all-time in on-base percentage. He's second all-time to Babe Ruth in career win above replacement with 162.4. Like, his worst season and I'm putting this in air quotes, his worst season from 1990 to 2007 was in 1991 when he hit a pedestrian 292 with 25 home runs and 43 steals. That was his worst season from 1990 to 2007. That's absolutely insane. From 2001 to 2004, Bonds hit 349 over those four years. He hit just under 350 for four years, dude. He drew 120 walks intentionally on 2000 and 2004, and he still hit 359 being walked 120 times. It's insane. 
The guy is a complete monster. He's If he's not the greatest player of all time, he's easily one of the greatest, like top five ever. He should be on the Mount Rushmore of baseball. He's one of the greatest players ever. And get it. I Dude, I get it. He took steroids, okay? I get it. It's wrong. He shouldn't have done that. He never failed a drug test, though. I'm just saying. He never failed a drug test. And, you know, this class coming up, this is Barry's last year of eligibility. Who we got coming up this year? We have Alex Rodriguez. We have David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez. So, you're going to tell me that David Ortiz, Alex Rodriguez, and Manny Ramirez, they're going to make the Hall of Fame. People who failed multiple drug tests, they're going to make the Hall of Fame, and Barry Bonds isn't. Come on, man. How is that going to work? How I would love to see the mental gymnastics of how that's going to work for me. How are you going to explain that to me? How is that going to make sense? What I'm reading is, as a consensus is, David Ortiz is going to get most of the votes in that, that first year there, and he's going to be right into the Hall of Fame. How? How is he going to walk right into the Hall of Fame? Barry Bonds' last year of eligibility, he's not going to get in, but David Ortiz is. Again, multiple failed drug tests for PEDs. Alex Rodriguez, one of the biggest scandals ever with PEDs, along the same lines as Barry Bonds. But Alex Rodriguez, guarantee you he's going to make the Hall of Fame somehow. Barry Bonds, you gotta be, you got to be kidding me, man. This is a complete joke. I get it, man. Barry Bonds is an asshole. Whatever, dude. That has nothing to do with him as a player. His resume, it's almost perfect. There's nobody who has a more perfect Hall of Fame resume than Barry Bonds. And it's, for him to not be in it, it's a joke. And again, going back to the steroid era, the most successful era of baseball you've really had from a fan perspective. The game was so much fun. It was one of the best products you've had. It, the steroid era got me into baseball. Barry Bonds got me into baseball. Mark McGuire is the reason I'm a diehard St. Louis Cardinals fan. That summer with him and Sammy Sosa was one of the most fun times I've ever had being a baseball fan. And same thing with everybody else. Baseball's boring nowadays. I wish everybody was all hulked up like Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco and everything like that, and they beat the hell out of the ball. Also, dude, you know how many people took steroids back then? They all did it. So why are we crucifying Barry Bonds for this? You think the pitchers that were striking him out occasionally weren't juicing too? What are we doing here? It's the same thing with Lance Armstrong, who, you know, everybody hates him for juicing and stuff like that. What about the people who are finishing nanoseconds behind the guy who was on all the steroids? Yeah, those guys were clean too, right? Like... Everybody does it. It doesn't matter. It makes everything cooler. The product's way better. Just let everybody take steroids. I don't know how many times I have to say this. I really mean this. This isn't just a, a bit I'm doing. I think everybody should do steroids. If you're a professional athlete, everybody should do steroids. The only reason Mark McGuire started doing steroids so he could stay healthy because his whole entire career, those first, I think it was like five or six years before he started doing steroids, was just injury riddled. He couldn't play a full season. He couldn't stay on the field. So he started taking HGH so he could be healthy and he can recover from injuries faster. Don't you want the best players possible being healthy all the time? Yes. So why wouldn't everybody just take steroids? It'd be dope. It doesn't make you a better player. It just makes you available more. That's okay. Cool. That's awesome. I would love every single player to never get hurt all the time. And just if they do get hurt, they bounce back really quickly. Who gives a shit? Like the steroids didn't give Barry Bonds his incredible playing ability, and his otherworldly hand-eye coordination. Steroids did not give him that. Same thing with Barry, with Mark McGuire. Same thing with Sammy Sosa. Same thing with Jose Canseco. The, the steroids did not do those things. Sure, they made him bigger and stronger. 
And sure, it stopped them from having injuries. But isn't that what you want? Like, you want the people who make you money to be on the field every single second, right? Like, I just, I don't understand why this is such a hard sell to people. But, again, you can't monetize and just eat off the profits of Barry Bonds and everybody in the steroid era. And then when it's time to praise them and put them into the Hall of Fame, you turn your nose up to them and act like you're above them. You're not. You're not at all. You ate off of those people, and now you're kind of stiff-arming Barry Bonds from the Hall of Fame. It's whack. It's completely whack. It's it's so beyond corny, man. Like, this was the most, This was the, again, it was the best era of baseball. And then you're not going to reward the guy who was kind of, you're the dude for a very long time, who, I just, he's one of the best baseball players ever. Steroids or not, just look at the numbers, man. Just put the guy in the Hall of Fame, you bunch of dorks. I just... I don't understand why this is so hard. And it's just, it's really going to piss me off when either David Ortiz or A Rod gets right into the Hall of Fame. And then Barry Bonds, he's on the outside looking in because he did steroids or whatever. Never failed test. Never failed test. But Alex Rodriguez on, you know, Katie Kirk talking about steroids. And then David Ortiz, just a multiple, like so many times he's failed for steroids. Same thing with Manny. For one of those guys to get in and Barry doesn't. Major League Baseball's got a lot of explaining to do. Just just get it right. Just get it right. You still haven't got it right with Pete Rose. Just get it right, man, with with Barry Bonds. Same thing with Roger Clemens. Just get it right, dude. That's it. Just get it right. Roger Clemens is still one. He's one of the greatest pitchers that's ever lived. I don't care if he took steroids or not. Just, just get him in the goddamn Hall of Fame. This isn't that hard. And we'll just we'll wrap this one up with speaking of the St. Louis Cardinals. My St. Louis Cardinals made an absolute blockbuster deal on Friday night. Absolutely just did not see that coming. It was kind of crazy because it was Thursday. I got an alert at like 12 o'clock at night that John Heyman had reported that the Cardinals and the Rockies had a little bit of a talk like about Arenado. It's like, okay, cool. That'd be really dope because Nolan Arenado is one of my favorite players in the league. St. Louis Cardinals, my favorite team ever. So it's like, this would be awesome. What a marriage. This is a match made in heaven. The best shorts, the best third baseman in the league on, you know, my favorite team. Let's do it. That sounds great. But I was like, uh, you know, they're probably just like, hey, we'd like Nolan Arenado. And they're like, oh, okay, well, we are not trading him, so fuck off. And it's like, okay, sounds good. Thanks. But 24 hours later, we're getting this huge blockbuster deal where Arenado is getting sent to the Cardinals. Along with Aaron Arnold, they're sending $50 million to the St. Louis Cardinals to cover some of his contract, which is absolutely insane. It makes no sense for the Rockies to do at all. And it comes out, too, we're still trying to hammer out some details, but it looks like St. Louis didn't even have to sell the farm either to do this. It, it appears that they're only giving up like second and third tier prospects in this. They're not even touching any of their top five prospects in their farm system. So from a perspective of the Rockies, it's like, why did you do this again? Like... There, I'm sure there were way better trade packages out there for Arenado. Like, why would you do this with St. Louis where you're not even getting at least one of their top five prospects? That could change here in a couple days. Rosenthal said they're still trying to work out what prospects are going where. But the general consensus is that this is only the second and third tier guys. Like, maybe a guy who's in the top 10 and the rest are in the top 20. So it's kind of, I don't know why Colorado, this might be the dumbest trade I've ever seen in my life, but... As a St. Louis Cardinals fan, I think it's completely above board. I think it's one of the best moves. It's a very smart move on Colorado's end. Like, this is a very savvy move and 
great, great work by Colorado. I, I can't applaud them enough. But outside looking in, as a casual baseball fan, you're kind of like, hey, what the hell is Colorado doing? They could have gotten something way better, I'm sure, from anybody else, honestly. And the fact that they gave up $50 million to give uh, the St. Louis Cardinals arguably the best third baseman in the league, kind of baffling. But whatever. For, still, I don't, I don't get it. You trade away your best player. You give away $50 million, and then you don't get a single top five prospect. It's kind of baffling, but you can kind of now, you can kind of expect Trevor Story, I guess, to be next on the chopping block for Colorado, and I guess they'll give him away from packing peanuts and a ball boy. I, I don't know what Colorado's doing, but um, just I'm taking my hat off to GM John Mazzeoc. I kind of, I've been pretty frustrated with this offseason, honestly, and he's been preaching patience, 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 and they took forever to bring Adam Wayne right back. They took forever to bring Yadier Molina back. They didn't bring Colton Wong back. They didn't do that, so it was kind of frustrating. But, you know, Mazzeo kept going, patience, 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 and he says that every offseason, and it's annoying as hell. But he he certainly delivered this time, so hats off to you, sir. St. Louis Cardinals look like they're poised to win more than 83 games for the first time since, like, 2007, which would be great, and they legit could make a run for the pennant here. So... I don't know. We'll see what happens with the rest of the NL Central here. So it wouldn't surprise me if the Cubs start breaking down and they start, you know, possibly hearing offers for Chris Bryant and you don't know what the Brewers are going to do. And I don't know. I I think the Reds are still, they're kind of hanging in there. I don't know. It it looks like St. Louis should be the clear-cut favorite out of the Central at least. And do they have the firepower to kind of keep up with San Diego and Los Angeles? Uh, I don't know. I mean, the rotation is good, but is it that good? Uh, I don't know. The bullpen was kind of suspect at times last year, and the offense, uh, you know, kind of hope and prayer, grit and grind kind of style. Uh, I don't know, but it, it makes a big difference when you have three and four. You're going to have Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arandano. So I'll take that and, you know, them crushing balls into Big Mac land and having some really good defense out there with those two on the cock, on the corners. And then you got Bader out there. And I'm I'm excited for St. Louis baseball. I kind of was like, oh, you know, it's going to be another Cardinal season where they grind their way to 80 wins and they sneak into one of the wild card spots. But now I'm legitimately, I'm excited for Cardinals baseball here. So, oh. That's uh, I think that was the week. I think that was everything that happened this week. So I think, I think I'm gonna wrap this one here. So that's it for me. Thank you for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at Tom underscore Shiflet. You can also listen to me and my good buddy Casey Allen on our podcast. We're trying that is streaming on all platforms that you get your podcast from. So that's it for me. I'll see you later. I'll meet you back here next week. See ya. It's over. It's over. Y'all take it easy. I'm out.